This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we have an excellent episode for you today. Isabel Hansen is on the show, uh, and I can't thank her enough for coming on, being so candid with me, and uh, and I really enjoyed this one. She's uh, a Dutch half-pipe skier that has some really interesting news to share. Um, we talk about that. We talk about some social stuff, obviously, because I always end up talking about social because it's important for every athlete. It's important for us. and uh, But we try not to spend too much time on it. We spend a lot of time talking about the issues with half-pipe skiing, funding and skiing, athletes, management, that whole bit. Um, and then we kind of talk about fitness. Uh, we talk about the ski system. We, I mean, there's, we talk about so much stuff. She's great. I was like actually kind of floored at how good she is at talking. Um, and I think as I mentioned in the episode, a commentary career is not a bad choice for her. Um, that being said, um, let's get into some sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Fisher Skis. Uh, Fisher's been a sponsor of the show for a bajillion years and uh, hopefully a bajillion more. They're wonderful, wonderful people, but that's not what you guys care about. That's what I care about. Um, they make great skis. That's what you guys care about. They make great boots. They make everything really, really well. It's that high quality Austrian built product that you've always known. Um from Fisher, it's just now they have some fun skis. They have like fun, playful, all mountain skis. Think about Pink Ski Gang and apply it to all of the new Ranger series, right? Um, 102, 96, 90. Um, there's a uh, 108. I lied. It's not a 106. It's a 108. There's a 116. The 116 looks good, by the way. I always forget how good it looks because it's fat, but like, man, that thing looks good and it skis good. So if you need a new Pow Ski for 2023... Go get it. There is still a pink ski, by the way, in case you're curious. There is still, what is that, the 90, Ethan? No, it's just the Ranger. That's like the wood core, easy steering, like first time ski. Get the Ranger. It's available in pink. Um, go to www.fishersports.com. Fisher Skis also gets you there. Um, and check out some of the new stuff they have coming out. There's also this wonderful new kids boot that I keep talking about because it's the best little kids boot that's ever existed. Uh, shout out Christoph Lentz. Check that thing out when it drops in the fall. We'll have it uh, in the gear guide that will be dropping soon. Well, not soon, in the fall. Um, and yeah, that's it. Check out Fisher Skis. This episode of the Out of Bounds podcast is sponsored by Onyx Backcountry. If you're unfamiliar, 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 unfamiliar uh, with what Onyx does, they're the ultimate offline GPS hiking ski map system um and online as well but so many different features um but i've talked about that before so we're going to talk about something a little more current right now um and that is the fact that they're partnering with leave no trace again uh this june and they're going to donate ten dollars towards leave no traces hotspot program um support leave no trace i mean it's like there's companies out there that are doing good things and that are trying to preserve national parks or local crags, trails, like that's what this money is going towards. And that's why Onyx has decided to back them and actually offer some financial support, which as we know, is hard to come by sometimes these days. Um, you can go to www.onyxbackcountry.com or onyxmaps.com. And uh, I've also included a link in the show notes, but um, any subscription uh, any new subscription to Onyx will get you a $10 donation to leave no trace. 
So please uh, put your money where your mouth is, do some good things for the environment, for public spaces, um, and support Onyx Backcountry, and leave no trace this June. This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Woodchuck, the original American hard cider. Um, Woodchuck is a phenomenal sponsor of ours. I can't thank those this crew enough for working with us. It's been an absolute pleasure, and not just because brunch boxes show up at our door all the time. Uh, <laughs> they make really, really amazing product. Uh, and I got to say, like, if you're into ciders, this is perfect. But if you're into stuff that tastes like wine or... Like, for example, Persecco, Sangria, Rosé, all of those are amazing. Uh, the brunch boxes have my new favorite and my old favorite, which is uh, the Bellini is my new favorite, which is like peach. It just means peach, but I don't know. I'm not that intelligent. Um, and the mimosa flavor. The mimosa flavor is like number one for me. Um, they have a whole bunch of stuff. Check out woodchuck.com um, and buy yourself some cider. Also worth mentioning, uh, they... This contest is already over, but you should go to Woods Woodchuck Stock. What is it called? I'm looking at it right now. Oh, Woodchuck Cider Stock. <laughs> uh, Woodchuck Stock. You should go to Woodchuck Stock. Um, go to Cider Stock. Um, it is on August 20th. I'm sorry that this is painful to listen to for some of you, but August 20th. Come hang out. I'll be going. Uh, bleachers are playing. Let's go have a good time. Just come. Just get a ticket. Come hang out with us. And, uh, and the whole Woodchuck crew uh, down in Middlebury. So uh, thank you again to Woodchuck for being a sponsor of the show. Sorry, I maybe butchered that ad read, but you know sometimes it's better that way. People really get the gist, and they really know that I love these people, and they love me back. So, um, And now I guess we'll get into the episode with uh, Isabel Hansen. Hi, I'm Isabel Hansen. I am a professional half-pipe skier from the Netherlands, and I have been competing on the World Cup circuit for a very long time. Um, I also do a lot of stuff with social media. Um, yeah, that's basically very short. That's who I am, what I do. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, first of all, before we get it into anything serious, how much of an idiot do you think I was when I was like asking you if you were in New Zealand in the moment where you're like, this guy doesn't even know where the fuck I am and he's asking me to come on the podcast? <laughs> I didn't really think twice about <laughs> it, honestly. I, New Zealand is my favorite country, so you could have been right. It's yeah, all right. Well, I I like look at one photo, see a location, and I'm like, oh, this is where this person lives, and it's uh, <laughs> it's not always to my benefit, but it's all good. Um, so can I ask you before we kind of get into some of the deeper stuff? How did you start your career? Like, what made you want to get into half pipe specifically? Because that's kind of a weird one to like choose for a career path as a and it's very specialized right like it's it's very different than all the other aspects so i don't think that we ever really choose what we do i think we i mean for me personally i just followed what made me feel the happiest okay um i mean i came from i come from indoor skiing so i didn't really know how to use my edges until i started skiing tight <laughs> and learned it along the way um i mean i was a rail kid coming from the indoor domes um and i actually just it's really funny i was signed up for a slope style contest in new zealand yep and um we the the contest was canceled and we wouldn't get our money back but we could enter the half pipe contest instead <laughs> and we'd never been in a half pipe before so we were like yeah okay sure why not we're not gonna get our money back anyway <laughs> so uh we did the half pipe contest and we, we we did not leave the half pipe at all we were like halfway up the wall doing 360s and alley 480s <laughs> and like 
but it was super fun. So after that, I kind of just started doing it more and more. And then I kind of clicked. Like I felt more like myself than I'd ever been or ever felt. Um, yeah. So I, I knew at that point that that's what I wanted to do. And halfpipe is kind of, if you want to do halfpipe, you kind of have to do it full full on. You can't, because it's such a limited amount of training time. You either do it or you can't make it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's kind of how I got into halfpipe. Yeah, it's it's a weird aspect of skiing in the sense that it like ev there's a lot of people who are insanely talented skiers that go and they ski halfpipe and they do really, really well. But it's also so specialized that other, and I talked to Kyle Smain about this, where it's like, okay, mm -hmm. the top five maybe make some real money. And then everybody else is like uh, kind of grasping at straws to make money or making money elsewhere in skiing, right? Like whether it's through yeah. social media or whatever. So talk to me a little bit about that aspect of things. How is, how has that gone? I mean, you're like, I'm looking at this right now. It's 11 time Dutch champion four-time slope style, <laughs> four-time big air, three-time half-type, 14th in the world. Like, I mean, it's like, that's a lot of accolades. So you tell me, like, how has it been? I mean, I think half-pipe is a lot different than the other aspects of skiing. And I think slope style is kind of going there as well, where every country has a national team. And the athletes that are performing at the top, they're on the national team. And on these teams, almost everything is funded. So... Sometimes the team members even get uh, budgets, so they get paid and everything is paid for. Um, I think that's where most of the athletes in the industry or in half-pipe skiing make their money or at least can save money. Yeah. It's been the national country, like the national federations pay for it. Um, I highly doubt any of the female half-pipe skiers make any real money besides maybe Cassie and Eileen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it just nobody really watches women's half-pipe skiing, uh, except for maybe at the Olympics. It's just there's not a lot of money going into it because it just doesn't come back in um, in the form of marketing because of TV time. It's just so limited. It's just not – it's such a small sport, such a small aspect of the sport. Yeah. And it's dominated so much by the U.S. and Canada and China that it's just – like Europe doesn't watch because we don't have any athletes in it. Right. Yeah, that's such a, it's a weird way, it's a weird thing to think about, like that only a certain, like you can be elite, elite and still not make any money. But I also, I kind of want to touch on the, th the fact that there's not any airtime going to it and there's not that support. Like why, why? Like that's the thing that I never really understand is for women's half pipe is exciting to watch. Like I actually enjoy watching it, like, but the coverage is just not there. Like it's not there consistently. The times are always not great like in the morning half the time i feel like when it's in the u.s like it's just not it's just not ideal so why do you think that is i mean we even experience a contest we we are always feel like the um, lowest level of priority in these competitions they run us usually at first in the morning um, they always move us around if it's better weather conditions for the other competitions and i feel like it's just small it's a small amount of athletes it's a small sport um i think that's why there's not enough attention for it and if we don't create the attention then it's never going to grow yeah but it's it's such an expensive sport that yeah. even for the kids to get into it it's it's almost impossible unless you have crazy rich parents or you have like a talent development team from your federation yeah. it's it's basically impossible so we're also keeping it small with the limited amount of like access to half pipe yeah 
Yeah, and I think here in New England specifically, it's really hard because our snowfall is terrible anyway. So to get a half pipe built almost seems like you're wasting snow. Like I've heard that time and time again where like they're trying to build a half pipe and everybody's like, why are you wasting all of this snowmaking that could be going elsewhere on the mountain? So you're seeing less and less ski areas even build pipes in the same way. Right. Yeah, it's super expensive to build them, and then you need someone who can actually build them. And right. I think there's maybe ten guys in the world that can build like a world class halfpipe. Yeah. So it, we're just making it really hard for ourselves and for a sport to grow, I guess. Yeah. So let me ask you this then: Do you do you feel like people like Cassie, like Eileen, that are at that top level and making money? Do you feel like that helps the sport or hurts the sport because there's such a disparity between how much they make? And we kind of talked about this before and we don't need to use exact numbers or whatever, but we talked about the disparity between like somebody like Eileen, right. Or, and like anybody else on a national team, right. It it just, does that disparity help or hurt things? Because on one hand, Um. I think the thing is with Eileen is that the money isn't coming from the skiing industry. Yeah. And the problem is that the money should be coming from within the skiing industry, but they're not willing to invest. And Eileen's on the whole other level. And I don't think that's only related to her skiing uh, lifestyle. It's everything that comes with it. Um, and I think she is creating worldwide a lot of attention for halfpipe skiing. And I hope that they will have a very positive effect on the growth of the sport. Um and I think that with Cassie being on that level for that long, I think she's definitely pulling the sport in the right direction as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. I guess it's just, it would be, it, it's just a weird thing. And I know I, a lot of Eileen's money and the majority of Eileen's money is coming from other avenues. And kind of on this topic, uh, her agent's really good, like really, really <laughs> good. And obviously her mom's involved and all that stuff. We kind of talked about it. it do you think there's value in having an agent. Do you have an agent? Is it worth having one? Have, is this something that's been considered? I, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth all the time, but I guess um, it depends on the person. It depends. It also depends on how good you are yourself at handling things. I've had a manager for the last couple of years and I had a different one before, but there's still a lot of aspects that I do myself. And there's some things where you kind of just need that person in between to keep your personal relationship with the brands mm. uh, good. So you can kind of complain through your manager and it doesn't come <laughs> back at you. Um, so I think that, that definitely helps. Um, I think it depends. It depends case to case. But I think having support in any form of way is always going to be a positive thing. Yeah. So for you, is it worth it? Your manager hopefully is not listening. But is it <laughs> is it worth is it worth having one for you personally? Because you're so talented at running your social that that aspect of it, like you can sell that aspect of it, I imagine, just on its own, right? Like as opposed to right. doing, even doing competitions, right? So is it helpful in that in that respect? Uh, yeah, it has been helpful. Yeah, for me, it was it was just really nice to not carry the burden of certain situations all by myself and having like somebody who's involved with me along the way to discuss certain things and just to not be on your own. Yeah, yeah, I guess it. It makes sense. I think people don't realize it. And my, my thing has kind of always been the younger athletes or who should actually be propped up by agents and managers and that kind of stuff early on, because then they can kind of learn the business from the jump as opposed to like, I don't know, being 25, 27 and starting to get to like, you know, peak of your career and picking one up, right. it, you know, like getting I that head starts huge. 
I agree because like, you know, when you're 15, you're super talented, you're going to be happy if somebody gives you a pair of skis. Right. But once you just take the product, it's really hard to get the budget involved. So if you can straight away from the get go be like, hey, but this gift is worth more than just product or just a pair of skis, then you can start a way more serious partnership straight from the beginning. But the kid will never ask for it. So I think in that those type of cases with those super young, talented kids with potential, it would be really good to have a manager or someone that is kind of like selling them because the kid's never going to want to sell themselves. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's uh, once one person takes, and actually Tom Yaps, uh, Eileen's manager said this on a post that I made the other day where somebody was saying that, oh, like it's actually a good thing to have like to get free skis and start a relationship that way. And then Yaps was like, okay, yes, but they're never like if athletes stop taking shitty deals, they're like it'll all get better for everybody and everybody can get paid right like so if athletes start yeah. like stop taking gear deals people will actually be able to get paid but brands know that they can just give a free pair of skis to a kid and that's it like wash their hands of it and the problem is if they're not going to want to pay we're still going to need clothing we're still going to need skis <laughs> right. we're going to need boots we need everything so like okay the brand doesn't want to pay me none of the brands want to pay me I still need to wear the stuff. Well, then it's better to just get the product for free at least so I don't have to buy it right. and represent a brand that's at least giving me the free stuff than representing a brand that's not giving you anything at all. So they're making it almost impossible for us to say no. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fucked. Like, that's horrible. Like, I don't know how to say it any other way. I'm, like, trying to think of a nicer way to say it. But it's, it's, it's so bad. Because this, like the gear is so, we talk about this part all the time. It's like, it, the gear is so expensive. Competition yep. is so expensive. Everything costs so much money that like even the skiing money, you're at a loss competing, right? Like there's no, like no if ands, or buts. Like I bet you even somebody like Eileen, who's at the top, doesn't pay for her skiing and all the travel and all the stuff involved with skiing through just skiing right like it's got to be insanely difficult because these ski companies aren't shelling out that money and there's an argument out there that's like okay ski companies actually don't have that much money to spend but i feel like that's bullshit i mean look at racing yeah those athletes get paid it's possible yeah they're wow. they're i mean but why would you pay somebody if you don't have to yeah, I get. Yeah, it's a great point. I don't know why. I the, mean, ugh, I don't throughout know. the year, I make a pretty decent amount of money, but half ice skiing is so expensive that at the end of the year, I'm either <laughs> broke or I'm in debt. Like it's just those half pipe cams. They will just make you broke. There's just there's no being able to make the money yourself and spend it on skiing. It's almost impossible. Yeah, like I said, you need you need to have either rich parents or be on a national team. Otherwise, it's almost impossible to become a half pipe skier on a higher level. Yeah, this is probably a good time to kind of transition into a career decision that you're making. So why don't you tell people about that, why you're making that choice, and then we can kind of dive in a little deeper. Oh, yeah, I'm stepping back from competitive half pipe skiing, um, not from half pipe skiing, just the competition side of it. Uh, mainly just because this past season, um, the competition were just no fun. Uh, I've reached a point where I'm not willing to risk my body anymore in dangerous conditions. And every competition was so dangerous that we didn't want to start and they made us start. Yeah. And we worked towards a certain level of skiing for so long. Like you work so hard to reach within your potential to reach a, a run that you can do at the competition that you'd be stoked with and you want to see how that scores. 
And because the co- the conditions during these competitions have been so bad, we never actually get to perform at the level that we trained for. And then it's like, well, if we don't even get to show what we work for, then what are we even doing? And then you're risking your body at the same time. It just for me personally, it wasn't worth it anymore. And because I have to finance anything by myself, it's like I'm working to pay for my work. <laughs> but it, it was fine because I love pipe skiing and it was fun. But then I, I always said, if it was not fun anymore, then I'll quit. And I've reached that point yeah. where it's not worth it anymore. That's that takes a lot to just be like, I'm actually not having fun anymore and to just quit. Like that takes a lot of discipline to actually follow through. I say shit all the time. Half the time I don't end up doing it. It's like, <laughs> so like, look, we were trying to do this episode for two years. Like it, it's crazy. <laughs> so how did you just decide, like, you're actually just that kind of person that just decides and that's it, you're done? Or was it a difficult decision to actually make? I think it was a process. I really wanted to try and qualify for at least one more Olympics um, or a Olympics. Um, and I know that I'm not doing another four years. And without the Olympic goal, it's really hard for me to come up with the full funding to do it at this level. And it's just becoming more and more expensive every year. I have to fight on so many levels so hard to make it happen. And then for me to realize that it wasn't fun anymore, it was like, wait, what am I doing? It makes no sense anymore. So yeah. it was kind of like a, a process of realizing all of these things and then coming up with, okay, I still want to ski bike, but maybe competitions are just not it for me anymore. Yeah. Have you thought about transitioning into, like, I feel like the typical thing is people transition into the backcountry and they start like doing that kind of, th- is that of interest to you at all? I, I still love pipe skiing too much. It's, I'm not like just doing straight airs all day on a nice sunny day. Like <laughs> that fills my heart. That's all I need. So um, I would do want to do a little bit more powder, but I don't think I'm going to go full backcountry like a lot of the skiers do when they retire from competition. Yeah, yeah. I don't, and I can't imagine. You know, it it sucks, and it's a difficult, it's a extremely difficult situation to kind of go through and decision to make, and I can't even really imagine. But I guess. I don't know. There's got to be some sense of like, okay, this is done. I can move on to the next thing, like, and see what the next chapter holds, right? Like, that's that's a really positive thing, and not a lot of people actually get that like closure and then go to the next thing. Like that, that's an excitement that not everybody feels. Right. I mean, I would have loved to have ended it with doing an Olympics, or you know, a lot of people do that. They do an Olympics or a World Championships, and then they're like, okay, now it's like a nice way to go out. Yeah. Um. But for me, that wasn't possible. So I kind of just had to wait till I was personally done. And there was no like big ending to it. It was just me deciding that that's not what I want anymore. Yeah. I actually think that there's more value in that. I mean, that's just my perspective. But I think there's more value in being like, look, I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm going to leave it before I hate it. Right. Because that's the thing that right. happens to a lot of people is they do it so much and they're just like, this is stupid. I don't want to do this anymore. And then you see yeah. them like they turn into Seth Morrison where they disappear forever and never talk to anybody, you know, like that's <laughs> nobody wants to see that. Like that fucking curmudgeon. That guy is so yeah. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's good that I still have such a big love relationship with uh, the half pipe itself and with skiing it. It's just the competition became more about surviving than performing. And yeah, that's, I'm too old for that now. <laughs> How old are you? 28. You're not too old for that. Like I'm 27. I don't know. Don't make me feel old too. Like there's no reason, <laughs> there's no reason for that. 
<laughs> you want to go ski in the half pipe at uh, night when it's like 90 kilometers? I didn't want to do that, period. So it's a different thing. <laughs> like, uh, But I, I don't think either of us is old, although I end up saying this a lot that I'm old because I feel I feel older every single day, but I don't know. I feel that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like I thought at 22, I was like, Oh, I'm going to feel this good forever. And now I'm like five years later, I feel like I wake up some days and I'm like, I am a carcass. <laughs> I am a straight up pie. I'm a dead body. Basically. <laughs> I see like kids crashing the pipe and I'm like, Oh my God, they're dead. And they just bounce back <laughs> up and they're fine. And I'm like, damn, if I crash like that, then it's going to take me like two weeks. Like I had to crash three months ago and my hip still hurts. Like I'm, <laughs> I could not recover anymore. It's not the same. Um, can I, on that kind of on that note, uh, can I ask you a question about Abe? Like how has it been working with Abe at ski system? Do you like doing it genuinely? Has it been helpful? Just talk to me. Are you I mean, still working with super helpful. Uh, I'm having a little bit of a break now, but that's also because I was moving and everything and I had some issues with my knee during the season. So I, I kind of like had my focus on that, but I worked with him all summer and leading into the season uh, prior to this winter season. And it was a very unique way of training. And I learned so much from him. That was way more like ski specific because I, yeah. I knew how to be strong and how to prevent injuries, but his way is like a whole nother level and he never paid me or anything. So I'm only saying this because I really believe in what he's doing and what he's offering. And um, it's such a cheap product. And I'm trying to like convince everyone like, oh my God, you guys need this because like, especially all the younger kids that are up and for coming, sure. they have no idea what they need to do in the gym to prepare themselves for skiing. Yeah. This is perfect. And it's so accessible and I really believe in it. So I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. He does a really good job at, at creating programs. I like, on one end of things, though, I will say that fucking guy sometimes is like, oh, you'll never get injured again. And I'm like, no, you will get injured still. You're just not going to get injured over nothing. You're less likely to get injured over nothing. It's hilarious. Like every time I would complain about like my back being blown out or something just from a ski day, he'd be like, well, if you did more lunges and more of the ski system, if you followed the program better, you wouldn't be hurt. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And maybe he's right. Who knows? <laughs> I mean... Maybe he is like I had this problem with uh, I could never do like I, I couldn't do lunges and split squats for like a super long time because my quad would just not have it in my right leg. And we did this whole preparation training and then boom, I was able to do it again after like three <laughs> years and every other training just told me to just train around it. No kidding. So, yeah, it was yeah. he when I did my assessment with him, he actually like focused on the things that I was bad at, like in the assessment because mm -hmm. it highlights those things right away. Like it immediately, right. you're like, here's my weaknesses, like wall sits or whatever. Like I didn't realize how mm -hmm. bad I was at them or like, I, I did not think that I was bad. Like I'm not a, I'm not a terrible athlete. Like I played regular <laughs> stick and ball sports like my whole life, but like, and I thought I could do a wall sit. He's like, no, you're, you're being a bitch. Like this isn't good at all. Like you need to work <laughs> on it more. We need, I mean, he, I don't think he said that exact, but yeah, I don't know. He Point probably should have. He probably should have. He probably just should have told me. And I would have actually probably done more if he told me that. So it's a little more motivating. I don't know. I just think for like everyone that's on a national team and they have the full support and everything, do keep doing that. But for everyone that doesn't have access to world-class trainers and they still need to prepare for the winter season, not just tourists, I'm meaning like up-and-coming athletes. Like if I would have had access to this like, 10 years ago or seven years ago or something, it probably could have made a huge impact on injury prevention. Um, then just trying to figure it out by myself and asking questions here and there. Yeah.
Yeah, I guess so. There is a difference between ski fitness and regular fitness, obviously. Yeah. But what what is that? Because like, and I don't. I hope this isn't offensive, but like you're very fit. Like you're a fit human being. I don't know why that would be offensive, but you're a fit human being. <laughs> I. It, does that translate all the time to skiing, and does it translate more to half pipe than other aspects of skiing? Um. Oh, that's a hard question. I think the biggest difference between ski specific training and normal training is that you're doing it mainly for the functionality of it and injury prevention whereas normal fitness can also be a lot about the way that your body looks yeah um and i think what we did with with abe was like we had a program of like creating health in your body like making everything healthy and then building a strength program and then turning that strength into power which translates most to what was doing on snow like when we started in October, um, I got some issues with my knee, but um, other than that, I've never felt that fit and that like powerful than mm. I had had in any other year. And I've been training for a very long time. And it wasn't like the training sometimes even felt kind of mellow. Like they were very different. I was very used to doing very heavy trainings yeah. and these were shorter trainings, but differently um, put together. And it just, changed a lot for me and i definitely think that it being more ski specific like he had all these things that literally he had me do one exercise with a landmine and i was like damn my ski my legs burn exactly how they burn in the half pipe and i've never <laughs> been able to translate that to anything out in the gym before yeah yeah so. it is yeah and that well yeah i feel like we've given abe a full-on plug here for free but which is true but because it's really good it is a good program. He's a super smart guy. I, I give him all the props. Agreed. I was I was very, very impressed with what he offered, even if I was terrible at following his program personally, <laughs> because I'm just not, I don't have that level. This is why I'm not an athlete. Other than a complete lack of skill and talent, I am not committed uh, to the athletic side nearly enough, I don't think. And he keeps saying that consistency is key. So. Yeah, consistency is key. He's like, do it all the time. And I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> I promise I'll find time this week. Um, anyway, um, so what? what is your plan now? Like, how are you going to make money? Like, what's the, <laughs> that's like the, that's the real hard question is like, you're not competing. Sponsors, I assume some of them are going to stick with you. Some of them will be like, okay, we're supporting the the competitive aspect but i don't know you've got like a hundred bajillion followers on instagram like you have like i don't know you tell me what's what is the plan um well for money wise yeah i will be continue to work with certain brands and companies that i have been working with and there's a few that weren't really invested in my social media exposure they were just invested in like the journey to the olympics kind of thing yeah um so obviously that will end and then others will continue um, I actually also just recently started a job for social media management, which I've done throughout the years here and there, whenever I had time and whenever somebody asked me to, or it came up. Um, so I'm doing that right now for a tech company, actually, Shit. um, just on the side, just to kind of pay off my debts from the season, <laughs> uh, <laughs> doing that right now. Um, I shouldn't even laugh because that's not even funny. That's horrible. But like, still, like to pay off your debts. Like, but, that sounds. But it is funny though because it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't. Well, I know, but it's your situation, and I'm laughing at it, so I kind of feel bad. But like, it's yeah, it it is funny. It's it's nonsense, is what it is. It's a joke. It's 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 basically a joke, and that's why it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I interrupted you. You could continue. Yeah. Um, so what's the plan? <laughs> 
So that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm not really looking too far ahead. I have a few things that I'm exploring for next winter season. I'm torn kind of between two, three things that, um, which direction I want to be heading into. Yeah. Um, but I'm still exploring. Um, I know that all of them involve half pipe skiing. I just okay. don't really know yet in what form. Yeah. Do you have a YouTube channel? Do you, have you thought about like that aspect of things? Um, I have thought about YouTube, but YouTube is just fair. If I would want to do it, I want to do it well. Yeah. And doing YouTube well costs a lot of money. Yeah. And, I'm learning that. Uh, yes. It, so <laughs> I would probably focus more on like TikTok. Yeah. TikTok is crazy. I've people are gonna kill me because I keep talking about TikTok, but TikTok is so insane. But it's so good though. It's like everything that Instagram isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your engagement's good. Like some people have horrible engagement, and like we have pretty good engagement too. But sometimes I'm like, did I do something wrong? Like, did I get canceled yeah, and I wasn't aware of it? Like, I don't know what. But that's know. Instagram though. Like, it's <sighs> it's a roller coaster if i look if i compare my engagement now to my engagement two years ago it's it's frustrating yeah. and depressing yeah um and then i'm like oh here there's tiktok let me just throw this video out there <laughs> oh cool has two hundred thousand views great that works it's crazy and you're like where did these people come from like where did right? they come from it's it's i don't know i think the tiktok is just way more authentic in a way where the content rules so you don't have to have followers the content just speaks for itself if the content's yeah. good it will go somewhere and with instagram it's like you have spent so much it's basically a job trying to grow the page yeah. and then you post something and then only 10 percent of your followers get to see it if that if it's and TikTok good it's just like right but even if it's not like sometimes i post a picture like yeah this is going to be like everyone's going to love this and then like <laughs> It does way worse than this random pose that I didn't really think about too much. Like it's just, and with TikTok, it's like just throw a lot in there and stuff works. Oh yeah, but I mean, like ten percent engagement now on Instagram is like killer. Like that's like really right. really good. Versus and the bigger like, you get, the 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 less the percentage. So you see people with so millions crazy. of followers and they're not even getting one percent engagement. Yeah. Oh, it's it's crazy. We were talking about somebody the other day, not a not a person, but a brand, and they have like a. 200,000 followers or something like that. And they're getting like 60 likes on a post, you know? And it's like, what is yeah. going on? Like what? Is, this yeah. is so bizarre. 60 people saw that. Like there's no way it's broken. But Instagram is trying to become TikTok. I don't know if you already have the new feed, but the whole yeah. feed is going to be like video and I don't have it yet, but I've seen it and it's horrible. Yeah. And it's just not for photos. So they're trying to become a TikTok, but then a bad version of it and nobody wants it and there's no place anymore for artists or photographers or they're like literally ruining the whole platform it's and on twitter yeah. twitter's yeah. the shit right now like i love twitter like i have so much fun on twitter every time i open twitter i like see a post from you every time it's because all i do is just talk shit like if you could have a thought and just put it out in the world or you can put quality content out too which like sometimes right. i'll put nice photos up but like it's mostly just me talking shit or like telling somebody to like, I don't know, screw off and go ride their bike. Like that's been the thing. Like, I, I don't know. It's just more fun that way. But TikTok, I want to kind of get back to this because I don't think people really understand. What is a creator fund? Do you understand this? Um, I don't really use this. And I think it's more of a thing that's more uh, being used in America than it is okay. here. Um but I do know that people make money off it. But I've also heard that if you enter the creator fund, your engagement just becomes lower. Yeah. So it's 
I don't know. I, I think you're that. better off just growing your TikTok and views and building a brand and then doing uh, partnerships with brands and stuff. And you're making, are you making money off of TikTok yet? No, but I also haven't tried yet. But then okay. I have, obviously, like I have sponsors now that are getting shit tons of views on my TikTok. Right, right, so, right. In a way that it's like supporting the partnerships that I already have. Yeah. Sell that shit. Sell it like a hundred percent. That's yeah. I, yeah. That's well, the really so cool thing it. is on TikTok is that 99% of my views are Dutch and a lot of them are from younger age. That's what? a whole audience. of Yeah. That's a whole audience that I don't necessarily reach at that much on Instagram. So my Instagram audience combined with my TikTok audience is very valuable. Yeah. That's yeah, it's part of the portfolio, I think. And that's that's what people have to get better at is like, all right, here's and athletes have to get better at this. Right. It's like, here's my package. And I tell people this every once in a while, too, especially when they ask about the media side of things. It's like when we go out and we sell the sponsors, we have a kit. Right. First of all, you have to have mm -hmm. a like a pitch deck or a media kit or whatever. Right. Right. But in addition to that, like you have to have all of your stuff separated out, like stop giving people like free posts for a you know pair of socks. Like it's just not it doesn't make sense. Like people do. They don't realize what the value is of that, because I'll argue that our social is almost as valuable as this part of it. Right. Like this probably sells more like when we do ads in the beginning. But mm -hmm. it's the additional like social media aspect of it that actually like gets eyes and ears on the brand and brand awareness more than right. here. Here is like people are listening, then they buy because you know, they know the show, they get a code, whatever, you know, but it's, it, it's totally different once you're adding that social component to your repertoire. Yep. I think especially also as an athlete or a brand, I think it's very valuable. Like as, especially as a female half pipe skier, if I wouldn't have had my social media and I worked really hard for that, but if I wouldn't have had it, then I would have not been able, well, able to do what I did for the last five years. Like I would have had no way to fund any of it. Yeah. Like the fact that I'm an athlete and the fact that I have social media reach, that combination is what made it work. If yeah. I would have had just one of the components, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. And it's different for certain athletes or celebrities or People who are real life famous, it's different because the followers kind of come by themselves. You do not have to do years and years of algorithm research yeah. to grow your following. And the engagement is often a lot better because they're, they're fans. You know, it's, it's different than when you have to build your brand and turn your followers into fans. Because I've had some people who are real life famous, if I say that correctly, <laughs> um, think that my social media was fake just because my engagement wasn't as good as theirs. And I'm like, yeah, but you cannot compare a celebrity or a real life person who has real fans to someone who is kind of a influencer athlete. If I say that correctly, because, um, it's just different. It's different if you grow real life first and then online, than if you go online first and that translates into real life. Yeah. And um, like, it's these people in the Netherlands who are really famous. They can pose a picture of the shittiest food or whatever, and they will get shit tons <laughs> of likes. I cannot do that. I have to think about my content and all that. And that's the difference in these types of things. And that doesn't mean that anything is fake. It just means that it works differently. Yeah. They're the personal connection is different. Yeah. They're a, yeah. They're a public figure. And that's, that's the thing is like the real life aspect of it really shines through in that sense. Right. Where people are like, Oh, yeah. like you see it with like, I don't know, Jason Momoa. Right. Where it's like, he could do anything just like post a picture of his dumb head. And immediately it's like, you know, 
a million likes. It's so, I feel like Eileen at this point could post whatever. And oh my love God. It. It's crazy. But you know? she's also like, here's a Gucci ad. Here's a Rolex ad. And I'm just like, what is going on? And also yeah. I'm like so sad that she like, won't come on the podcast yet because like I asked last, <laughs> I asked last year before she was like crazy blew up and they were like, not at this point, but like down the line. And now I'm like, can't even get a response. I'm just like, Jesus <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> like whatever but it's it it doesn't matter i i would like to talk to her but i also feel like she's so big now that i wouldn't get any real answers so it's like it would actually be a lot more interesting to interview some of the like underdogs who are actually really fucking good like for yeah. example rachel carker she won a freaking olympic medal and nobody's talking about her because eileen kind of overshadowed everybody you know yeah and i would actually love to learn more about her and her journey and her perspective then i if i want to know anything about eileen i just google her and there's already a lot of stuff out there it'd be right. way more interesting to hear from athletes that are not talking that much yeah well that's i think that's part of the reason i wanted to have you on because like you see your social you see what you do and you actually like getting to hear somebody talk and seeing them talk is a totally level, like totally different level of like people now knowing you, right? The only right. way, and the only thing I could find, I was like looking for stuff on you, like to research a little bit. And the only thing I found was that interview you did with Mark from Low Pressure a while right. ago. And I'm like, this is the only thing that I could find right now is is Mark, like of all people, Mark Warner <laughs> is the only one that I could find a fucking interview from, which is hilarious <laughs> that it shows, and it shows up at the top. I was, I was like, okay, good for you, Mark. It's I, but I did, that, I did quite a few of like written interviews. I but saw those, I actually, yeah. I actually hate podcasts, so I've only done two of them. What the fuck? Low pressure podcast, and then I did a Dutch one recently um, about like the whole Olympic thing. Yeah, uh, but actually, I'm not a fan of podcasts. Why? But, what, did, what did I do wrong? <laughs> but I think when they're more skiing focused, it's a lot more interesting, a lot more valuable than like I get a lot of podcast requests, like probably two a week or something. What? And it's just always quite random. And I'm always just like, eh. I send them to my manager. I'm like, you figure out if there's any of them that are like worth it for me to do it. Yeah. Um. So and he said mine was worth it. I didn't send yours. I just I just decided that on my own. Okay, good. All right, I'm glad that makes me feel a little better. I think that I'm on this like that we're okay (laughs) here. I didn't I didn't have to get screened before we did this. (laughs) That's nice. Um, yeah i I'm interested to see what what kind of happens next. I'm sure you are too. But like that's that's a huge career change. I'm like I'm still kind of like stuck on that aspect of it. It's like that's a big. That's a big thing. So what, and I know you probably can't tell me yet because you're still deciding things, but like, what's the, I can't, I can't talk about it. Um, there's it, kind of like a few things. It's kind of like, I see half pipe skiing as a whole Yep. and I see everything that's wrong with it. And it's like, do I run away or do I try to fix it? That's kind of, are you going to uh, do a struggle. roast? Hmm? Are you gonna do a roast? Like get like <laughs> get invite everybody at Half Pipe Skiing and just roast the shit out of everyone? Everybody that's in charge of like No 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 the, the people are good. <laughs> it's just the way everything's run, it's like there's so much wrong with it. And it's like I know that with the knowledge and the experience that I gain, I can do a lot for the sport. Yeah. But do I want to? Yeah. It's like I've already fought a long fight to kind of experience what I experienced in the journey that I made. Do I want to keep fighting for the sport or do I just want to go off and chill and be an influencer half-pipe skier? 
Yeah, I think, I don't know. I feel like you know the answer to that, but I don't know. Like I, it's a difficult question to ask. There's a, there's some level of moral high ground there, I think. Yeah. There's like, there's one thing that I actually been thinking about for a couple of years and that is to start an international halfpipe team. So we have a lot of like individual athletes like me or athletes that are supported by their country, but the country just doesn't have a national team or they're the only athletes or there's only two and there's no structure um, to start like an international halfpipe team where athletes can kind of buy their spot into the team and then everything's taken care of. So we provide coaching, physical therapy, traveling, everything so that the athlete just has to think about skiing. Kind of exactly how Team Canada does it. Like their athletes are very well supported. Trenton runs a really good team. I feel like he does really great organizing. Like there's one thing to have budget, but then there's a second thing to know how to spend that budget. And I, I see Team Canada and I'm like, damn, if that would exist, for international athletes like me, I probably wouldn't have been able to afford it. But if I would have had the opportunity to join a team like that, I would have because it's so stressful and it's so much work to do it all on your own. And it's expensive because you have to either hire private coaching or you have no coaching or you, yeah, you always staying by yourself. You're always renting a car by yourself. Like it's really expensive too. So I think, by creating a team and offering the opportunity to individual athletes to join a team, you can create a team that could actually compete against countries like Canada, US and China. Whereas now I feel like those individual athletes don't even get the chance or the opportunity to get to that level because everything's all over the place. Mm. So if you could like snap your fingers and change one thing, would that be it? Like the structure and the, like the systemic aspect of it? Or is there other things that you're like, okay, this would be like a perfect easy fix that would make a huge difference. I mean, just a couple of more weather days for each competition couldn't hurt. (laughs) Like that would be great. That would be a great start. Um, Or actually use the weather days. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. But I think especially that there are almost no European half-pipe skiers is crazy. Countries like Switzerland having no female half-pipe skiers on World Cup circuit or Austria not having any, it's just that, like, how? Yeah. It's not, like, just because there's no structure, there's no, these countries don't really know what they're doing. There's almost no good coaches. It's really hard because I've been, I set up this team, like, I put it on paper and I've been trying to look for a half-pipe coach that could like be the head coach for my team. And I would do assistant coaching and the organizing and planning and everything. But it's really hard to find uh, a good, experienced half-pipe coach that is willing, that doesn't have a family with, you know, it's really hard to find somebody who is committed to be able to do that, who's not already doing it because it's such a small sport. Yeah. So that would kind of be the next step in this idea is, finding a coach and then seeing how many athletes would be willing to go in on something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you said you weren't going to tell, talk about things very much. And then we're talking in detail about one of these things. I like, no, 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 don't be sorry. I'm happier. I got the answer that I wanted. I think (laughs) one of the other things that I'm really looking into as well is judging. Oh, cool. Um, Because there are no half by judges. Like they're at all of the World Cup judges that are there right now. No, no one of them skied half pipe themselves. Um, that and there almost being no female judges and um, rare, like small group of European judges. I think that that could be something that's very interesting as well. Of always 
had a lot of contact with Jason Aarons. Like we're really good friends. And he's he's basically been teaching me all the stuff for years already. So yeah. I feel like I already have a good basis of everything that I would need to know. So that's something I'm looking into as well. That would be sick. And I think more people are going to start getting more athletes are going to start getting into this, too, because like you look at Tom Wallace and right. how good he is and how insightful he is. And you're like, yeah. oh, that's because he did it forever. So like right. for the comment for commentary aspect of it. There's like, there's that avenue now too, right? The judging aspect yeah. is one thing, but like there's now commentary that like is opening up more and more. And I think we started to see that first in like stick and ball sports, like reg like basketball and stuff like that. But, and it works really, really well instead of these like talking heads that get up there like me and are just like, Hey, here's, here's what everybody does. And it seems like everything's going, well, I just wish they would do this better or this better, you know, <laughs> and as opposed to like actually knowing what it takes. Right. Like for us watching X games, it's really cool when the, when there's the ladies qualifications to hear Jen Hudak speak yeah, because she's been there, you know, she knows it's, it's a lot different than if it would just be another random person. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. And some people can do it without that experience but i think for the most part it's like that yeah especially on the judging aspect of it, it's like how do you even what why would that not be a thing like that that doesn't even right. make any logistical sense to me at all i very often felt like the judging booth needed more females and especially athletes uh, female athletes because the way that women's half pipe is judged sometimes it like I can get really frustrated over it and not just me. Like I just watching everybody else and it's just oftentimes it's not the way that it should be. Yeah. Um, and it's also very focused on who makes finals and then everybody else is just kind of feels like sometimes we're just thrown in there where uh, for some athletes, 17th or 18th place could mean Olympics or no Olympics and judges sometimes forget that. And I feel like that's mm. one aspect that I also need, like feel like I need to fix or at least have some impact on or yeah. Yeah. And I think honestly, like as much as judging would be a really cool avenue to see you approach, you're a really good talker. Like you, you're like you're well spoken. I feel like your impact can be better used in like a commentary booth, right? Like where like you're talking about these things and how it affects people's career long term. You're putting like another idea in my head. I, I think it's great. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I think like seriously, like you're. I, I was like a little nervous coming into this because I wasn't sure how like, I don't know how well-spoken you'd be, but you're extremely right. well-spoken. So thank you. It, yeah. Like, so why not do that? Because you can just talk about the things that are problematic. You can talk like you have a voice and now more than ever X games, uh, the Olympics, any competition, they're looking for more credibility, right? They're looking for more eyes on it. Right. And I can yeah. tell you, I watched a lot of the events in the Olympics this year because Tom was announcing, like, because Tom was on right. the mic and I'm like watching him and talk like, I don't know. And he, I already know that he's cool. He's like, I've had him on the show. He's like, he's a great guy. You listen to him talk on the mic and you're like, holy shit. Like this guy actually knows what he's talking about. You could do right, the same it's thing. Really nice. You could do the same thing. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that's yeah. Other, your other option is to do a fucking podcast, but you already hate that. So it's, it's <laughs> that's, but it, it, I'll leave you. I'll leave that to you. Yeah, I guess. Um, we'll see. We'll see about that. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think that there's a big opportunity to impact people post-career with your words, right? And I think you even see like Lorraine Huber do it, right? Where she talks about the struggles that she goes through, where she talks about like 
she just talks about her career. And then when she's on hill at the Freeride World Tour, like when she's skiing down, kind of giving that color commentary, it's really insightful because you're talking right. about one of the like <coughs> one of the best, right? And that's that's huge. That's super <coughs> I'm losing it here. <coughs> promise it's not covid um yeah i think we're at a safe distance so (laughs) yeah how far are we what's the time difference by the way uh it's almost 8 p.m so i think six hours oh okay great (laughs) um yeah i just i think the impact that you can make is really really significant and it's a lot more like everybody's always worried about like Oh, I don't want to be a talker. I want to be a doer. But people listen to people that talk, you know, a lot. As much as I shit on the talking heads of the world, it, they listen to them, right? So it's, True. yeah. It, you got to lean into It's like social. It's like it's a devil and a curse, but it's also hugely important for everybody, right? Agreed. Ta- yeah. Talking is kind of the same way. So I don't know. Just thoughts. Just another, <laughs> just another idea in the bucket. Um, yeah, I think we hit a lot of the categories here that I kind of wanted to talk about. But where, speaking of social, where can people find you on the internet? Where can people find you on Instagram, TikTok, the whole deal, Twitter? Because you are on Twitter, even though you don't tweet that much. Right. Everywhere is just my name. It's just Isabel Hansen. Sick. I think the username is the same. Everywhere website's the same. Yeah, everything. If any like really good halfwave coaches are listening, because <laughs> I need one. I hope so. I ho- and I hope it works out like that. That sounds it, it sounds amazing. It just sounds difficult to do because we just spent half an hour talking about how difficult and how broken the system is, and now we're like, yeah, come in and yeah. fight an uphill battle. Like, <laughs> but but I do think that for the ones that are already doing it, this would make it a hell of a lot easier, and it would actually create the opportunity for these athletes to reach their full potential whereas now so much is a struggle like they're probably spending the same amount of money now than they would on the team but then everything's taken care of and i think that's what you need as an athlete if you look at any other sport at any gold medal winner the first thing they always say is i couldn't have done it without my team the people that support me and our sport is so except for the three countries everyone else is kind of scattered. And if we could combine those strengths together, I think you could get really far. Yeah, no. And I agree. And you're right. Like those, it's really those three countries in China, the U S and Canada that play right all the right. time. I mean, it's other than ski racing, ski racing, you see everybody for some reason, like it's the complete opposite where the U S other than a few people uh, being Michaela and like a couple others <laughs> and Paula, I guess uh, it's it's crazy to see the impact of ski racing in European countries versus freestyle and free ride. Like those things just right. seem to matter less. And I'm like always mind blown because to me, ski racing is the most boring aspect of it, right? Like it's like, it's cool. I, like I'm really psyched. And I like, don't get me wrong. I am like a huge Michaela Schifrin fanboy. Like I am <laughs> like, I think she's the best. I think she's an incredible ambassador for the sport as a whole. But I don't look at it like ski racing. I just look at it as like she is an ambassador for skiing, period. Right. So like right. that, I think, makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's that's kind of why ski racing is important to me. But I also don't see why there should be so much money from the ski industry pumped into ski racing. 
I think that, especially in Europe, I think the countries are lacking the knowledge and the companies don't see the, the, the market that's available. And I think that goes hand in hand. Like countries need to invest in national teams and in the athletes that they have or create the athletes or help export them to get to a level. And then that will create the market. But now, especially in halfpipe, because in Slopestyle, there's a lot more European athletes. But in halfpipe, it's so very few. I think there's maybe five girls that come from Europe. Mm. And that's crazy. And I think it kind of starts there. It's like the countries that want to invest don't know how. There's just no knowledge. There's no experience. There's nobody any taking any action except the athletes themselves. And they're just kind of figuring it out as they go along because they have no clue either. They're just trying to ski. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird world we live in. It's a weird industry to be in. And uh, yeah. it sounds like we're both stuck in it for a while, even if you get out of yeah. it a little bit. It sounds like we're we're here to hang out for a bit. So, um, Isabel, thank you for doing this. This has been great. Um, you're great on a podcast, regardless of whether you hate them or not. You're <laughs> very good at it. So I appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, and obviously, I'll send you everything when this is ready to go. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It yeah. was fun.